Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We made this. It took everything from me. These were foreign attacks on U.S. soil. We have to respond. I'm gonna make it right. There's something inside of me that I can't turn off. A part of me that won't stop for anything. No remorse. everyone to Real Tour, the official movie podcast of the We Made This podcast network. I'm your host, Tony Black, and Real Talk is a show designed to both react to new cinema and also find a way to talk about the movies we love, like, and maybe sometimes, well, hate a bit. In this episode, we're talking about Tom Clancy's Without Remorse, directed by uh, Stefan Solima and starring Michael B. Jordan as Navy SEAL John Kelly, drawn into a murky Russian conspiracy after the murder of his wife, an unborn child that involves the dark waters of American geopolitics. And to chat about this one, I'm joined by new guest to Real Talk, previously appearing on the We Made This network show Blair Witch Minute, podcaster and film fan Mike Josick. How are you, Mike? It's really great to have you on Real Talk. I'm, I'm good. Thanks for, thanks for having me on the, on the podcast, Tony. Thanks for transporting me back to 1992. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've been looking forward to having you on for a while. <laughs> I, you know, we, we were talking about various different things to talk about. And I know before you and I had discussed how we both really like the 1994 movie, Clear and Present Danger, which is also a Tom Clancy adaptation. Because one of my many ideas for a podcast is to do a minute by minute Clear and Present Danger um, podcast, which I'll probably do in the year 2046, you know, at the current rate of, of going. Obviously, it will be called Clear and Present Minute. Yeah, clear, obviously, Clear and Present Minute. Yeah, 100%. So, <laughs> so I thought, um, I thought, let's talk about Tom Clancy's <clears throat> Without Remorse, uh, because it's obviously along similar lines. So let's, let, let's kick off with, with the basic question, Mike. I mean, what do we think about it? Is this a good Tom Clancy adaptation? Is it a good movie? Having watched it, where do you stand on it? Well, like I said about transporting me back to 1992, this <laughs> felt very, very much like a 90s action film to me. I don't know if that's based on the fact that it's a Tom Clancy novel. It's, it's based on a Tom Clancy novel. And Tom Clancy is kind of so rooted in that late 80s, early 90s kind of milieu for spy thrillers. I thought it was a serviceable film. If I if I had to give it a rating, I'd probably 
go like two and a half out of five. That's what I gave it on Letterboxd. Like it's not a bad film and it's a very proficiently made film. Uh, We'll probably talk more about, you know, some of the smaller details, (laughs) but I just found that the film never elevated to a point where I wanted to just ignore everything else that was going on around me and just really focus on like, this story is gripping and intriguing and I'm so invested in these characters it just kind of walked this very middle of the road line for me. Yeah, I, I felt much the same. I was actually really looking forward to this because I haven't so read was the I. book. Yeah, yeah. Hence why I invited you on because I thought I know you're you're, <laughs> you're looking forward to this as well. And I was hoping to have a really like positive, super positive chat about this one, but it's it's not quite going to work out that way. I think because I'm I feel very similar to you. I gave it exactly the same. Look, square five out of ten, if you like, in some sense, two and a half out of, out of five on Letterbox. And it is it is perfectly proficiently made, you're right. I found it quite ugly, though, and quite charmless. And considering it has Michael B. Jordan as the lead, who is absolutely a, a compelling screen presence, hugely charm. He can, he can do charming and quite intense at the same time really well. He did that so well in the Creed films. He did that so well in Black Panther. And he can obviously do edgy because he was the villain he was a great one of marvel's best villains as killmonger in black panther so he's 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 great i would watch him in pretty much anything i think he's great good cast decent cast guy pierce in sort of sniveling villain form jamie bell i think quite miscast really but solid actor nonetheless jodie turner smith perfectly good it, it, it nothing wrong necessarily with the constituent elements it just was quite drab and dark and glum in a way that I haven't really previously associated with Tom Clancy films I've seen before. And I just didn't really find myself, apart from one or two distinct moments, particularly enjoying it. It was on in the background and I was losing focus quite often. And that's a real shame because this is a, it's an old, it's a story that goes back a long way. They've spent years trying to get this made. <laughs> like nearly 30 <laughs> years they've spent trying to get this made. And it's just not that great, is it, really, at the end of the day? Where are we in terms of spoilers? Well, I, I, I always feel like we should probably preface it at the start. I always feel like it, this is after it's come out. I'm guessing you've seen the movie, folks. So we're going to, yeah, we're going to talk about it. So yeah, go for it, Mike. Fair enough. Uh, I almost took a half a star away from the film because of the final scene, the mid-credits scene. Right, yeah, yeah. Jamie Bell and Michael Jordan are, Ritter and, and Clark are having their conversation. What, you mean, you mean Aven- Avengers Assemble, you mean? like Exactly. <laughs> and I'd, like, I'd like to talk to you about the Clancy Initiative, basically. That's what, that's what you mean. Jamie Bell's character turns around and starts walking away and does that over the shoulder. Good to have you back. And... <laughs> My body tensed up and I was like, I'm taking half a star away if you say it's good to be back. <laughs> and he did. Yeah. And I left the half star in, but it, that, that's I think indicative of so much of this film where, yeah. like I said, I thought it was proficiently made. It has a great cast. The set pieces are really well put together, if a little long. And I thought the sound design was remarkable. I actually really enjoyed the cinematography by Philip Russolo. 
Uh, he's done a lot of films that I love. I know you said uh, you thought it was an ugly film, and I'm curious if you meant visually or, or narratively. A bit of both, Mike, to be honest, I think. Okay, but every time the film was sort of like, oh, all right, we're, we're past the clunky stuff. We're hitting our stride now. It's like all guns blazing from here on out. It would switch. I felt like I was watching Commando or something, you know, like it was very rote 90s action storytelling. I mean, I haven't watched Hunter Red October Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger, or Some of All Fears in many, many, many years. But I thought all of those films, when I saw them, were fairly smart. And this one, I realized they're going, you know, Jack Ryan's an analyst, so you're going for a little more of the the cloak and dagger kind of office stuff, whereas Clark, he's a feet on the ground, you know, gun in hand kind of guy. I realized this was going to be more of an action film in that respect, but I don't know. I've always associated Clancy with a little cliched, but smart. And this one just stuck with the cliche. No, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I haven't, I don't know if you're much of a Clancy book nut, Mike, but I, I haven't read all of them. I've read some of them. I found, in fact, I found the hunt for red October. I really like the movie, obviously, but you know, I think most people really like that movie. I found the book to be very technical and just very detailed on all the naval stuff. And I was a bit like, okay, this, yeah, I don't know if this is really working for me. So his books depend and I haven't read all of them. And, and I mean, the book without remorse, they've basically literally just taken, I think the title and the name John Kelly and a set and very basic plot elements. And, and you, and done it's, it's so this film is so different from the book. The book is set in Vietnam in like 1970 for one thing. So, and I haven't read all of the book. I've read some of it, but so this is a different kind of beast. And you could do that and succeed. Like, the Born, what's what's the first Born film? The Born Identity. Uh, Identity, yeah. Uh, if you read Ludlum's book and watch the film, like they're very, very different animals and they yeah. take place in very different spaces. But the one kept the spirit of the other and took all the best things from the book and translated it for a modern audience. And, you know, maybe that's just a tribute to, I think, uh, Tony Gilroy. I think the Gilroy brothers wrote that. Well, the first one, Identity. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. I know Doug Lyman directed it, didn't he? But yeah, maybe. Yeah. What Taylor Sheridan and Will Staples accomplished here felt more like an adaptation of the hundreds of Tom Clancy video games yes. rather than like the CIA porn that the books are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. CIA porn. It's totally CIA porn. That's a great term. Somebody must have used that before because that's a really good term, Tom Clancy. Totally. It is more like a video game. You're absolutely. I was. I was thinking that earlier when you were talking about the cinematography, and I don't necessarily. I don't think you're wrong at all in terms of the fact it's it's relatively accomplished. But I did feel like, particularly there was that sequence. I think it was in um, in Russia or in the Eastern Europe somewhere. It goes on forever. It's about an hour and t- hour and ten in or something like that. And he's pinned down Kelly in this you know abandoned building that's been half blown up, and it just goes on and on and on and on. And I was a bit like. This does feel like I'm in the mid- middle of like, yeah, Rainbow Six. Although <laughs> we'll come back to that later because there is definitely a connection there. But yeah, I and, uh, it, and that goes back to the whole thing of, you know, how movies and video games, the, the, these kind of things, there is an overlap these days in that you'll get a lot of these video games that are shoot 'em up, first person shooter kind of things that have very cinematic visuals in many ways. 
So it's not to say those overlaps can't be interesting, but I don't know if it really... I didn't feel this was very tense, Mike. You know, I didn't really feel the suspense. The only time I felt that was the one set piece that really, really did work for me. I did quite like the um, the airplane crash. That was quite good. But the one that really worked for me was the scene in the burning car where basically Kelly, in full view of like hundreds of people at an airport terminal, sets fire to a car <laughs> and get, gets in the car and then threatens the, the guy, the Russian guy. That was great. I was like, more of this energy, please. Because it was, it was really sort of like he's losing his marbles here. Kelly's great. So I would have liked more of that kind of very sort of, oh, I don't know what the word is, not quite gritty, but just quite visceral sort of energy to it. You know, and it didn't quite do that. For, it was very all over the place in terms of what else. It was and consistency for. too. Yeah. Because they go to that place. Like this movie brought a lot of things up for me, partly because, like I said, it, it does harken back so much to a 90s action movie from the motivations of the character to the fridging of his wife and unborn child. There ain't nobody better than me to do this job because <laughs> there ain't nobody like me and they just view me as a felon, like all that stuff. But they don't go full revenge. That's another thing that kind of irritates me is I've recently come to to really be sensitive to or or aware of the way America handles revenge stories, because revenge equals justice. And that's kind of layered into the plot because someone is definitely manipulating people to make those moves, man, which takes me into another space because they wanted to make all those chess references, but they didn't want to spend the time to actually invest in making chess like a a lower level kind of part of the narrative, except for in like a couple of very, very quick scenes. Uh, But the revenge narrative kind of bothered me because they kept vacillating back and forth between it being a heroic thing and it being not a heroic thing. And the film was critical of the U S but then it was also very rah, rah, the U S and it just had a tone in the story that kept jumping back and forth where you know, you weren't just seeing this character kind of breaking bad and going like deeper and deeper into the hole and becoming just a really dark person. And then maybe getting swung up kind of on the back end, because obviously this character is a character that goes on in other media. You know, he has been played by Willem Dafoe. <laughs> yeah. Very well, um, actually as well. He was great in clear and present danger as this. I agree. Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, Clearly they were trying to, this is like an origin story for this character. And, you know, the, the Avengers assemble scene at the end, there's clearly a franchise that they're, they're trying to build here. I would have liked to have seen this character going to a really, really bad place and having this be the crucible that has him come out the other side. But the film never wants you to flat out condemn John Kelly for what he's doing because he's justified because his wife was killed and, and the con like maybe this is the only response he's capable of because maybe he's not a very, you know, sophisticated human being. Maybe he's been turned into this living weapon kind of thing and he's got to learn how to shake that. But no, he's actually a smart guy. He understands chess. He plays chess as it is implied. And, you know, everything that we're sort of shown and told about uh, Jordan's character is that, you know, he's 
he's physically capable. He's mentally sharp. He's very intelligent. I don't know. It was just too many balls in the air, and I don't think all of them were caught. You know what I mean? And I mean, I really feel that there's well, there's I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit into the the history of this film being made because there's loads there's loads of interesting stuff about how it's taken so long. But obviously, this film was originally written and sort of produced by, uh, in part, Akiva Goldsman. Now, <laughs> Akiva Goldsman has done some... Yeah, he's done some okay stuff for TV. You know, he was involved in Fringe, for example. He's been, He was involved in the first season of Star Trek Discovery, which is the only decent season that show's done, you know, and, he, and he's still involved quite heavily. But by, by and large, his film output is not great, to say the least. And that, and but then the screenplay was rewritten by Taylor Sheridan, as you mentioned before. Now Taylor Sheridan, partly known for appearing in Sons of Anarchy and being very good in that show, actually writes some really great hard-boiled kind of script. You know, he he did things like Helen High Helen High Water, which is a really really good sort of neo western. You know, I think he wrote Sicario as well, which I know that Salima, the director, did the sequel to that. Uh, he wrote Sicario, the original Villeneuve film, which is great. So he's he's good. He's a good sort of neo-Western kind of action, hard-boiled screenwriter and director. I think he did Wild River. Did he do Wild River as well with um, Jeremy Renner? I feel like he did because that was great. That was a really good film as well. Wind River. Wind River. Wild River. I'm thinking of the River Wild. That was with Meryl Streep. That's a whole, di- <laughs> That's a whole different thing. But definitely a crossover opportunity waiting to happen. <laughs> Yeah, get get Jeremy and Merrill on the phone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wind River Wild, but yeah, I um, I think, I think you had it here first, folks. I think he's great, right? So the, we, I think a better film was lurking underneath here, and it goes all the way back to the film rights for this were bought up in the mid nineties when this film came out. Straight away, it was bought up. Ninety four, the book came out. Keanu Reeves was originally down to play John Clark. Back, this is this is this is not his greatest era either. This is like post Dracula, <laughs> Keanu Reeves before the Matrix. Um, so goodness knows what. And this is after the Willem Dafoe appearance because it's it's worth pointing out at this point. Actually, I'm going off on loads of tangents here, Mike. I'm sorry, but it's worth pointing out that Clark is the character. He's actually who is the well known character from the books. He's like a with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. He's like the, the opposite of Jack Ryan, where Jack Ryan is the straight-laced analyst who then becomes president. You've got John Clark, who is the... 
he's got this, this soldier, he's got this tragic backstory, who then, who then becomes this sort of mercenary, shady government sort of figure who helps him out and things like this. So, and this is the origin story for John Clark. Did you just create a canonical tie between Air Force One and Clear and Present Danger? <laughs> unwittingly but that's brilliant <laughs> actually i want them all to live in the same universe oh oh seriously mike what i would not have given what i wouldn't give to see harrison ford play president jack ryan i would literally give anything for that because he he was so i wanted them to keep making those films and follow the clancy novels and do things like executive orders where he plays where he's ryan is the president i love that so much it's never going to happen but i'd love it how weird is it that when you tell me because i actually didn't know that jack ryan ends up being president but the second you said that would flash into my mind was harrison ford looking tired and bedraggled Sitting in the Oval Office like Conan <laughs> at the end <laughs> of Conan the Barbarian. That's great, yeah. <laughs> that was just my go-to image. Well, you know, I mean, this is a perfect time, you know, to if you want to mirror modern geopolitics, we've currently got an old president in the White House, not a bad guy, you know, trying to do the, the, the noble thing, as challenged as he is by everything. Here you go. You know, Harrison Ford is an old Jack Ryan president. It's perfect. Perfect timing. He's about Joe Biden's age, isn't he? So, you know, um, it works. It works. I wish they'd do it. They never will, but I wish they'd do it. So, yeah, you've got, they've got the character of Clark, who is, he's, he's, you know, he plays a part in this broader sort of Tom Clancy universe. So, this this is something they're trying to get on the ground, almost like as, you know, if, if you think about this in the mid-90s, you've got, in theory, You've got the third Harrison Ford, Jack Ryan movie coming at some point. This is like mid-1995 they're talking about with, without remorse. So in theory, you would have had whatever it would be after Clear and Present Danger. I know they don't do them in order necessarily, but, but it never happened. It never came to be. And then, then you had, and it's funny you should mention Conan, Mike, because originally slated to write and direct was John Milius to direct this and working with that Tom Clancy. It could have been very interesting. And then it was Lawrence Fishburne, Gary Sinise were potentially involved. So you you definitely know it's mid-90s when it's Gary Sinise. So they're very uh, involved to appear at various roles. And then it goes into development hell for years. And then in 2012, Christopher McQuarrie signs on. Again, somebody I would have loved to have seen do this film because he's great. And it's Tom Hardy who's in the frame to play Clark. So this is around the time he's... um, you know, just on Bane and his uh, Inception and all this kind of thing. And originally it was going to tie into what is easily the worst Jack Ryan film, Shadow Recruit, with Chris Pine as Jack Ryan. I always forget it exists. It's, yeah, I'm not surprised. It's terrible rubbish. And Kevin Costner was the, uh, was the Greer kind of character, Harper, in that film. And he was supposed to appear in the Without Remorse origin story for Clark and tether these two together. But after Shadow Recru- Recruit just bombed, they scrapped that idea completely and went back to the drawing board. And I remember hearing for years that Tom Hardy was going to appear in Rainbow Six, an adaptation of Rainbow Six, which is one of Clancy's biggest novels. And it was made into a ton of video games over the years, Rainbow Six. probably more famous for being a video game than it is a book, actually, in many ways. And I heard that for ages, that Tom Hardy was going to be involved. And then he drops off. And now the plan, in theory, is for Michael B. Jordan has been signed for two movies, Without Remorse, and then Rainbow Six, which is going to bring in other characters from that 
that book, etc., and then in theory start this Clancy cinematic universe. I mean, if this if this works, it's whether or not then they tie it into the uh, John Krasinski Jack Ryan series, maybe, and do that, which they could. I was just going to ask you if they're connected. No, I don't know. I don't think they are at this point, but it'd be easy enough to give John Krasinski a movie, you know, and as Jack Ryan, you know, he's a big enough name, you could do that. So it, it's probably all been, you know, plotted in that sense, but. I just feel like just going back to my original point that there's a lot of interesting people involved a lot of and and it's come down to a director who is less well known less necessarily le- much less an auteur than people like Macquarie well, I don't know if they're auteurs really Macquarie and Millis strong, strong filmmakers who are who've done really interesting work let's say and who have very strong visions who have yes who have very distinct strong visions and have made very strong films in those senses do, is this lesser returns, Mike? I suppose is my ultimate point. You know, even with Sheridan having polished the screenplay, it still feels like this has gone through a bit of a machine over time. It hits all the points, and you know, we mentioned the video game sort of connection earlier. How it, it felt more like an adaptation of the games than than a novel. They kept relying on the the visual sense of the film. It seemed to rely more on what a video game experience looks like than what a cinematic experience looks like. Now that could just be the blurring of those two lines because video games are becoming more cinematic, have have become more cinematic. And in some ways, they're kind of similar storytelling mediums. You said, is this just something coming from a machine? I think it is. I think this is Amazon trying to generate an expanded universe. And they obviously have the rights for this. The show has been successful uh, Tom Clancy as a name still gives everybody's dad a boner when <laughs> when it gets mentioned. I'm not even a father, Mike, and it gives me one. So, you know, I'm clearly of the age <laughs> now. I am. Ever 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 I hear Tom Clancy, I'm like, ooh, you know, I do, yeah. So <laughs> you got a you got a full on Clancy? <laughs> but it, it does feel like it's it's aiming for those. I guess not four quarters, but a broader audience. It's not going in any place that's sort of uncomfortable. It's playing to a lot of tropes and it doesn't have a lot of nuance. I think that's what's missing. Like, I hate to compare it to the other Clancy stuff, uh, film adaptations, because it it is sort of its own thing. Um, and those other movies are like 20 years old but actually older than that. But, um, you know, one of the most amazing things about Clear and Present Danger in my memory is how tense and active and antagonistic Henry Cherney and Harrison Ford in an office bouncing back and forth between like a fax machine. <laughs> printing, printing. That is, the, that is the most tense printing sequence in cinema it's, history. It's like the climax of the film and it's just, it's nail biting. Uh, And I don't feel like anything in this film achieved that level. You know, as soon as, as soon as she says, because they've already set up that, you know, the air quote Russians are killing off the, the SEAL team that went in and did the thing that they do at the beginning of the film. So when his wife, Pam tells him, don't stay up all night and listen to music. <laughs> My brain was instantly, okay, he's going to be downstairs listening yeah. to music and these guys are going to sneak in. Like 
it it telegraphed too much. It felt like a film made for lazy watching. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, a lot of the and beats I, I, you knew already. I do yeah. disagree with you about. I do disagree with you about Salima because I did feel that the film had some visual flair to it. I don't know how much of that is Russolo and how much of that is Salima. I've never seen uh, Day of the Soledad, but. I must correct myself, Stefano Salima, not Stefan Salima. Sorry, carry on. So I did think there was enough in there kind of visually and on a technical level. I was impressed by some of the production design. I was impressed by, like I said, the sound design. The sound design, honestly, I think carried me through a lot of the film, more than I'd like to admit. Hearing the discharge of those weapons, it was very, I don't want to say unique, but it was very... uh, it was kind of a singular sort of sound. And, and they, they took care to really distinguish between different impact sounds of different caliber of, you know, bullets and uh, the different sounds of the different guns firing. And it's something that's actually ever since lethal weapon, I remember seeing like a making of lethal weapon and they talked about how they gave Riggs and Murtaugh's guns, different sounds to, match their personalities. Oh, okay. I've never heard that. That's and nice. ever, ever since then, I've paid attention to the gun sounds that get used for certain characters and whether they're just going for, you know, something accurate to the weapon or something that's, you know, a little more specific and stylized, like, you know, Indiana Jones is Webley or, or these guys on this SEAL team running around doing their little pew, pew, pews. So... <laughs> They did their research. There's no way that you can watch this movie and say, you know, they didn't consult with somebody and that they didn't have somebody telling them what was the right technical equipment and this and that, that these guys would use and how they would, you know, enter and exit a situation and yada, yada, yada. But what they didn't have was somebody saying, this is lazy storytelling. (laughs) And, And I think you often find the lazy storytelling in the stuff that's trying to build something that's going to appeal to a lot of people because they don't want to engage you too hard, but they want to like get you just interested enough that you're going to click on it and watch it one evening when you've got like nothing else to do. And you're, it it doesn't feel like appointment viewing. It feels like they're trying to just, I can't quite find the word that I, that I want to, or the phrase that I want to like just nail this with, but those are the thoughts around it. No, yeah, I get it, and I, and I feel like, and, and I, I, I mean this. I don't mean this in a, in a negative way towards television because I really feel like television is in an amazing space in this in this day and age. And I think, quite honestly, I think the majority of TV we get these days is actually as good at, as if not better, than a lot of cinema. But this could have been a pilot in some ways for a TV show. This could have been the starting point for something like that as opposed to a real cinematic event. You know, I don't, I came out of this not feeling like I'd lost anything, not seeing this on a big screen, really. Whereas I watched Godzilla versus Kong, which is ridiculous and silly nonsense. But I, I came out of that thinking, I would have loved to have seen that on a big screen because it's, it's, it's meant for that. It's big, it's daft, it's fun, it's colourful. And I, I thought, you know, I, I would absolutely have gone to see that in the cinema and I'd have had a good time. Whereas this, I think... It was small scale in a way. It was very, it was very sort of hemmed in. I felt, and I think in some senses that is intentional. I don't. I, I think there is intent behind the way they made this film. 
I don't think the execution was all that perfect quite often. I don't think it quite achieved what it wanted to achieve. But I think the intention was to make something far grubbier and nastier than you would get necessarily in the Jack Ryan arena of things, which is more about the, you know, the CIA workings and, and, and although, although in fairness they've they tried they've tried to get a bit more into that in the Krasinski TV show because they've tried to make him a bit more of an action guy in that really than he ever was when Harry, when Harrison Ford when, whenever when Harrison Ford played him and to be fair when Ben Affleck played him in the Sum of All Fears which is also a good film it, he was and he was quite Ben Affleck he was quite shabby in that you know and and in the Jack Ryan in the Harrison Ford films he has he has the action moments I mean I still say the the final act of Patriot Games is fantastic. That whole boat chase sequence and the sequence in the house is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And obviously we know that Harrison Ford can do all the action stuff, so it worked. But he, they've, they've increasingly tried to make Jack Ryan over the years because the Chris Pine one was all action, 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 because it was a different kind of origin story for him. And I remember coming out of that film thinking, this isn't Jack Ryan. This isn't Jack <laughs> Ryan. This is basically John. This is more like a John Clark sort of, or a James Bondy kind of thing you're trying to do. This isn't Jack Ryan. It's not that kind of thing. And the Krasinski one has tried to sort of balance both. They've tried to make him a bit more action, but they've still made him an analyst. They've still made him, you know, involved in all that stuff. And I think they've that that show isn't perfect, but they've they've tried to get the balance there. And in this, I think what they wanted to do was try and create much more of a tortured character. You know, because the whole thing with Ryan is that he meets his wife and he, he ends up with a family and then like I say, he does in the books end up becoming president and he's, you know, he's involved in all that and that kind of thing. And he doesn't, he, his family don't die. You know, he doesn't lose his wife. Whereas John Clark begins from a point of tragedy and then he's that tragic hero, you know, in the shadows. And that's fine. But this just feels like, yeah, it's trying to serve different masters and it's trying on the one hand to be quite a sort of throwaway action movie. But then he also wants to be this intense brooding kind of, tragedy you know there's all there's the whole thing of how at the end when he crashes the car into the into the river it then he then goes into this sort of strange space like thanos in, in infinity war <laughs> where he sees his wife <laughs> and it's like he's drowning any of the flashbacks in the movies were weird yeah yeah they were and i was a bit like well, what is this like this is the you know his wife tells him don't worry i mean i i actually thought I, and uh, silly of me, Mike, but I actually had hope that maybe he was going to die because I quite wanted it. In a way, I wanted him to die at the end. So I was like, this would be, this would be quite a powerful way to end this. If he actually just gives up, he crashes the guy, he takes the guy down. But uh, uh, no, it's never going to end like that, is it? Cause you've got Michael B. Jordan. You want to start a franchise, all this. And that's the, that's the sad thing. I think if this really had guts, if it was really going for what it was trying to do and tell this really, this tragic revenge story, then he would have died at the end. I've got the Wikipedia page kind of open on my phone here while, while we're talking. And as you were talking just now, I was kind of looking down at it and realizing the poster is so unremarkable. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The promotional image that they use, it's literally just Michael B. Jordan's face with a kind of a gun sort of nuzzled up under his chin and it's got his name and Tom Clancy's name and without remorse, an Amazon original movie. And clearly there's no art to it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just, uh, Hey, you like Michael B. Jordan and Hey, you like Tom Clancy without remorse is the name of the thing. And you get no sense of anything from it. It just, 
it feels very like put together to appeal to a very specific kind of demographic action movie, Michael B. Jordan, go watch it. You don't need to know what it's about. And I think that, I think that does speak to what we were talking about earlier with how it, it just doesn't dive in to the meat. I mean, to be fair, you know, the poster for clear and present danger in Patriot games is just Harrison Ford's head. So (laughs) yeah, on some level, I'm kind of talking out of my ass as far as criticizing this poster image, but it just, even the actors, I mean, we talked about the cast and it's a really, really good cast and they all have some really, really great moments, but I never loved any single one of them. I, I actually champion Jamie Bell's performance, even though I don't love him in that role. Cause you really, you really dislike him. I don't think that's just the writing. I think, I think it's something he's putting across. There's a smarminess to his character. There's a superiority to his character. And I think that means something that that translates to the audience. And the downside of that is uh, when you get his kind of redemption at the end, I was a little disappointed that I didn't want it more. I kind of, <laughs> I yeah. kind of wanted Ritter to get taken out or like have something really nasty blood under the fingernails. <laughs> He's one of the, the puppets, you know, cause the CIA, I would have liked to have seen the CIA portrayed a little more darkly personally, but. But he's the character that Henry Zerny plays in Clear and Present Danger, Ritter, isn't he? He's the same character. And in that, he's he's an oily bastard, basically. You know, Ritter in that film, he's a bad guy. You know, he doesn't have any redemption in that film. You know, he's he's just he's just a slime ball, you know? And it's a bit, it, yeah, it's, in this, he's more, in this, he ends up more like, if we're still going with the Marvel al- analogy, he's like the Phil Coulson to, Michael B. Jordan's Nick Fury at the end. That's essentially what he is. But you know, the great thing about Cherney and maybe it's noise. Maybe it's uh God, I can't remember who wrote the uh, screenplay. Maybe it's a combination of a lot of different things, but with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved. We are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As much as you hate his character, he's there to tell Jack there's no black and white. It's all shades of gray. And... I kind of loved hating his character because his character wasn't inherently, you know, evil. He was the bad guy because he had the complicated morals and ethics that you're required to operate in this shadowy domain. And that's part of what Jack Ryan's all about because he's, he's, he's the one looking at it and going like, no, this is wrong. We need to do the right thing. And yeah, and and that's where a lot of the conflict comes out of. And I never got that feeling with with Bell's Ritter. They just kept throwing him in as kind of a red herring. It's like, oh, well, he didn't happen to be on the plane when the plane went down. And oh, he, there just happens to be like this money when we show up. And oh, he never told us that these were Russians. We thought we were going in and, you know, fighting Syrians. And 
they just keep giving you reasons to not trust him until they decide to flip it. And it's not done in a, in a character defining way. It's done in a Kelly is sitting on the boat and says, I was wrong about you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the audience is just supposed to go. I was wrong about you too. <laughs> yeah. I know. I thought that I, I never bought that for a minute. I was like, oh, really? Like it's just, yeah, I know. I know exactly what you're saying. And it's interesting. You talk about ethics because I felt like watching this, I just kept thinking this is yet another example of how I don't think this kind of action cinema, and to be fair, you could say the same about television as well, has really escaped over the last 20 years, two things that came out of the, the, the aftermath of 9-11. 24 with Kiefer Sutherland, and the and the Bourne movies, which you mentioned, you mentioned earlier, I feel like so much of this particularly geopolitical action cinema is still in the shadow of those examples. Twenty four's almost, you know, angry crusading zeal against anyone that wasn't like anyone that was brown. Essentially, that show, you know, Jack Bauer would just go after, <laughs> you know, the other. You know, the, all, all these terrible people trying to destroy America. And then occasionally, you know, you'd have a, a, a Nixon-style corrupt president or whatever. But in, I never really got the feeling that, that that show was ever really aiming its guns at America itself. The Bourne movies obviously are more complicated. And they, they go into the realm of suggesting that, you know, these, these, these American institutions that are now, you know, saying we've got to do this in order to protect our country are, are actually corrupt and rotten at the core. And it does that. You know, every Bourne movie, the bad guy is always the, the old white dude CIA guy, isn't it? It's either, you know, Brian Cox or it's Albert Finney or it's David, David Strathairn or all these people. And this is exactly the same, you know, and that's why whenever, when it's trying to make you go, oh, look at Ritter, he's the bad guy, look at Ritter. I was sitting there going, well, it's obviously Guy Pierce. He's the old white dude who's, co- who's commanding everything. <laughs> you know, it's obvious, you know, and, and it, cause this is exactly the same kind of film, you know, it, it really is sort of playing in that same sandbox of trying to suggest that, you know, America's uh, means aren't justified by the ends or, you know, it, it, it's, you know, in this case, Obviously now the Russians are the bad guys again, aren't they? Quote unquote. You know, we're not we're not in that safe space that the old Jack Ryan films played. Because if you think about it, who were the bad guys in Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger? It was the IRA or like factions of the IRA before the Good Friday Agreement, particularly when it was still and the troubles were still going on, and then it was Colombian drug cartels. And yeah, a corrupt American president. Yes, fair enough. But those those were the main bad guys, you know, in those kind of films, in that 90 space. Whereas now we've gone back to the Russians being the bad guys again. But then at the same time, you've got the suggestion that John Clark is fighting his own government. And I'm just like, I've seen all this before. Like, I've, we've, been, we've been playing this out for the last 20 years. When are we going to reach a conclusion? When are we actually going to, you know, <laughs> understand what this means? You know, what does this actually mean? It doesn't really you're not really saying anything that hasn't already been alluded to or said before. Just come out and make America the bad guys. Just do it. You know, for, just go there because that's, that's where every, everything's been headed in the last five years. And I, that's where I want these kind of films to have more teeth. There is a moment in the film where it's, it's an obvious piece of dialogue, but it's a very loaded piece of dialogue that Guy Pierce delivers, which 
is kind of the crux of the whole film. And that's when he says, you know, kind of you're only the economist won World War II. You're only as good as the the bad guy you're up against. And the bigger the country, the bigger the bad guy has to be. And, you know, America was never as great as when it was us versus Russia. And there's so much in there to unpack mm. to a more sophisticated <laughs> you know, writer or intent. And I don't know if that was something that was intended by the screenwriters or if that was just using, you know, tropey key phrases because it's an easy place to go. It's not as easy a thing to unpack. And and that was actually the the power of clear and present danger. Because like I said, clear and present danger was all about, you know, the grayness of everything. That's why Clark was there. That's why Jack was there. That's why uh, Cherney was there. And that's why I can't remember the actor that played Escobar or whatever his name was. You know, those previous movies dealt a little bit more, or at least that one previous movie dealt a little more with the gray area of things. And this movie presents sort of the kernel of that, but it doesn't really explore it or seem to really have any interest in exploring it because he just wants him to say his wife's name before he kills him. And he dies and it lacks the nuance. It lacks the nuance that I think any spy thriller needs to have, whether you're dealing with a, you know, mud in the hair, blood in the teeth, boots on the ground, kind of conflict engagement sort of thing, or whether you're an analyst in an office looking at information and and figuring stuff out. Like there has to be some nuance to it. And this one just didn't have that. No. And I, I do appreciate what you... I, I agree with you about how there's some interesting stuff in that final conversation. The film doesn't have time to unpack it all. The film is rooted in trying to convey this emotion, this emotional journey that that Kelly Clark is going through and building him up to that origin story point. And, there, and this, is where the, this is where the cynic in me finds this all a little bit frustrating. Now, it's, it's funny, Mike, because I am I, I am a big fan of the MCU stuff. I love the Marvel stuff. I really do. I, I, I lap it up. I, I'm there for all of it, and I enjoy most of it very much. I love all the interconnectivity. I love the way it's sort of blending cinema and television. I love the way – I love the changes it's making. I really do. However, I don't think that model works for everything, and I think you're finding these days that everyone is trying to do this Everyone is trying to be this model. Star Wars are trying to do it. Star Trek are trying to do it. James Bond, if we're not careful, will go the same way in the future as well. You know, if, if ever it's prized out of Barbara Broccoli's hands or anything like that. The fact that the, it, the only fact that the only reason that hasn't happened to that franchise is because it's very much an in-house family thing, you know, and, and they, they, they're like, hands off, keep your hands off. Everything now, though, is being built to follow this model. And this is exactly the same. They have seen the potential for a Clancy, Jack Ryan verse, whatever. And the whole, this whole thing is not really about going into any kind of depth about what the story itself means as much as it is the origin story for the John Clark superhero. In the same way that you're going to get Star Wars projects that are the origin story for whatever character. Or you're gonna, or you're getting Star Trek shows like Picard, which is the the story of one character, you know. And it's it's all this kind of thing where I'm like, okay, I like conceptually, I like this idea, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work for everything. 
And I would rather have a, a without remorse film that is a one shot thing that really goes into these dark waters and, and has the balls to come out and basically go for what it's really about, as opposed to trying to sort of flirt with that and inconsistently go around the houses and get to a point where you've set up John Clark as this new action hero, this leader of this Rainbow Six for X amount of movies. And that's where I'm a little bit like, you, you, in doing that, you haven't made the film you could have made with this, I guess. Well, you haven't even made a film. Mm. You've made a chapter of a story. Like one of the things that I think is a key factor to all of these things sort of failing, whatever universe it happens to be, is they're so concerned with making sure that it's part of this larger tapestry that they forget to just make a film. And people forget that Iron Man was a standalone film. And even Iron Man 2 was kind of a standalone film within the Iron Man franchise. And they referred to them as franchises. It was the Iron Man franchise, the Captain America franchise, the Thor franchise. And there was what, like four, four movies that led into the first Avengers movie? And mm-hmm. I'm sure they were hoping to get the Avengers film, but they had no idea that that was like a given. So uh, as much of an outsider as it makes me and as, as much as I actually really enjoyed Tom Cruise's Mummy film, because they set out, I actually think that film works surprisingly well and doesn't fall into a lot of the traps that I'm, I'm kind of outlining here. But Universal came out of the gate telling everybody, marketing it as part of a bigger thing, having the Vanity Fair cover with all of the actors. So people went into it with a lot more hostility and weren't treating it as a film. They were treating it as the first chapter in a hopeful, hopefully a, a Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe style thing. And I think that's a big reason for why it failed. I could actually, I could go on for a long time talking about what I think are some amazing things about that film. And I'm not a Tom Cruise fan, but, uh, nor am I a Kirsten or Orsi fan, but that's neither here nor there. And yeah, it's just, they're not making films. They're, they're making franchises. And, and I think that's disappointing. And I think it's impatience. It's wanting to, to get to the end point and not having earned it. Weirdly, the MonsterVerse seems to have sidestepped some of that. And I'm not, I haven't thought about it too deeply, but I'm not 100% sure why it succeeded. Perhaps because they are kind of their own individual films until you get to Kong, uh, Godzilla versus Kong, which I haven't seen yet. But, uh, you know, those first two Godzilla movies, they, they hint at a larger universe. Kong is very isolated. You, you have your... You have your Mutos, you have your, is it Majestic? Oh my God, I can't remember the name of the the organization. But yeah, there's too much of the, this is a prologue to something bigger and this is not a complete film. Star Wars, Star Wars is also, you mentioned Star Wars, it does that. And it's 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 something that that frustrates me endlessly with anything in media right now where it's like, just focus on the thing that you're creating. Just tell the story that you're telling. Make us fall in love with this story and then introduce us to something larger take us into a larger world it's like i meet you and get to like you first and then i meet your friends or family or you know however whatever kind of relationship we're in but like i need to click with you first and we need to have the things that 
we get along with and that we like to share and that before it gets to something bigger, it's not. Yeah. That's, I'm terrible at metaphors, but I'm going to end it there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get where you're coming from. I, I, I think this film thinks that's what it's doing though. I, w- I would, I think if you spoke to the, the director, the writers, whatever, I think they would say, well, that's what this is. You know, it's we, you're getting to know Clark, you're getting to see his beginning and then we're, we're layering in, you know, track for Rainbow Six, and then who knows where it'll go. But I, I'm like, and I'm like, fine, okay, I get that. And to be fair, yeah, it hasn't done what the Mummy film did and try and tell you about afters and different films that are coming next before this one's even come out. And then you, it comes out and you go, oh my goodness, you know, well, most people did anyway. But yeah, this doesn't do that. It doesn't try and, you know, front load you with too much. If any, anyone doing a bit of inside baseball will know about Jordan's deal to do Rainbow Six as well. Fair enough, but you've got to look for that. The film doesn't do that. However, I didn't come out of this wanting more. That's the that's the problem. You know that that's the problem. You know when I when I came out of um, some of the earlier Marvel stuff, as much as I don't think it's as good necessarily as the as the stuff we're getting, a lot of the stuff we've got subsequently, I came out of those films thinking, yeah, I'd watch more of this. I'd watch more of this character. I'd watch more of this universe. And I didn't feel that with this. And and you know, as as a Tom Clancy fan. I didn't. I didn't leave this film going. Oh, I can't wait for Rainbow Six. I was like, Oh, okay, that that's what you're doing then. Right. Okay, then fine. And that's not where we should have been. That's not, but it's and it's mainly because I just groaned a little bit. I was like, Oh, okay, this is what it's doing. This is what it's doing. And I'm and I just don't think John Clark is that kind of character. You know, fundamentally, I don't. I mean, imagine if they'd done that with Willem Dafoe. I mean, actually, I would have loved that. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like, if they'd done that kind of scene with Willem Dafoe as as John Clark, I think that would have been amazing. Willem Dafoe would never have signed on for this script. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. Or he would have forced some complexity on it. Yeah, and and that's the thing. I just think I I understand the idea of building a universe around Michael B. Jordan as your lead. And like I said at the start, he's great. He's a great actor. I really like him. He's a great screen presence. But I don't really know if this, A, if this this part really fits him in many ways, and B, if the the very idea of John Clark building a universe around him or the start of that around him is as is makes as much sense as trying to do that with Jack Ryan. I don't know. I'm just I'm just not convinced by any of it. And I think had I come out of this feeling like this was a more satisfying experience, a richer, more interesting experience that really had something powerful to say, or, or, or I think it does have something powerful to say, I just don't think it really knows how to say it. I think I would have been more excited for more. But to me, this just this just comes out making me think, oh, yeah, okay, they're just, they're just, they're just universify, universifying Clancy stuff. And I'm a bit like fine fine you know if they're if they're going to be like this then i'm not that fussed basically i kind of wonder you mentioned the fact that we're in the know we we know the sort of behind the scenes stuff we know that there's development stuff and and we're also not to pat ourselves on the back but i would argue that we are more sophisticated viewers than perchance some others and if that's if that's a downside for us, if that we look at something like this and, you know, we are expecting more uh, or, or maybe because we are comparing it to the older stuff or I don't know if, it, you know, if the audience this is being aimed at 
is the non, you know, the less sophisticated audience, somebody who's just going to go, you know, look how sexy and fit Michael Jordan is. Uh, look, look at that great, you know, action scene in the prison. I mean, that, that was kind of a great scene. It was a great fight. And that was one of the few moments where I actually felt a little bit of tension because I thought he was going to get a serious beat down, but you know, the timing of it was just uh, the whole deus ex. (laughs) Oh, uh, this is the time we're going to get you out of prison now. But uh, I do wonder if perhaps this is directed at, at more of a casual audience. Although I do kind of, sometimes I watch a movie like this and I wonder who is this for? Yeah. Because the way this makes me feel sometimes while watching this and the person that's really going to buy into this, it, it worries me sometimes that that person is out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause they, this, this isn't, this isn't Clancy for you, for your dad. Like you said, you know, this doesn't feel like dad Clancy, like, like Patriot games or, uh, clear and present danger did, or even the sum of all fears to some extent did this. This isn't dad Clancy. This is with lucky landslots. You can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved. We are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is angry, you know, young man, Clancy. Yeah, and I'm a bit like, well, I don't know if it really works. I don't, I don't know if it really works for me. Like, I, I, I want, I want. If you're going to adapt Tom Clancy, and and there's there's some really great ideas in a lot of his work, and 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 it's it's far more technical and interested in the technicalities of how these institutions work. Make that, you know, that was what I loved about those, those Jack Ryan films. Cause it did have a bit of that in, yes, it had some of the action stuff eventually. And, and, and both of those films give way to action climaxes. Yes, they do. But a lot of those films, there's a lot of other stuff going on. And, and, and I like it. I like them for that. I really enjoy you feeling like you're in, you're in a CIA office talking about all these different things. This doesn't have any of that. This is just action sequence to action sequence to action sequence. Bounce, 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 bounce. And it's driven by this powerful emotional resonant core. And I'm like, I don't need that. I don't always need to have this tragic fucking hero stuff. Like, you know, just, just give me a character. I don't know. I, I, I find it, I think it's all very cynical to be honest. And I just, I came, I came out of this disappointed. I have two thoughts that just came to me. Number one, we talked about television. We talked about the fact that there's a Jack Ryan show. And just when you said kind of how action oriented this was, it occurred to me, it's entirely possible that whether it was Amazon or the people making the film, they were like, no, no nuances for television. Cause movies now are like amusement park rides. You know, you don't you don't go to see Loving in the theater because it's like a two-person drama piece, right? Uh, that's something that you sit at home and you watch. You go to the theater to watch Avengers Endgame. So maybe they have a running time of, you know, we've got roughly two hours and we just need to like have a lot of action and string together these set pieces with some dialogue and, and some plot we have a Jack Ryan TV series, which does the spy stuff. And I've never seen it, but I'm assuming there's probably more nuance involved with it. 
So I, I always wonder with films, especially films that don't quite hit the mark, the way an actor gets involved, they like the script, they like the ideas, and they don't have that holistic sense of it that like a producer or a director would have as they're filming it because they're concentrating on their character in that moment, in that scene. And they might have a very like deep, meaningful relationship to the film and to the material that just doesn't communicate once it's, you know, edited and, and presented, but they still feel that the film is those things, even though the film isn't necessarily saying those things anymore because they kind of like imprinted on it in that way. And I think, I think maybe he might've been attracted to, yeah, let's have a, you know, Tom Clancy's a big name. It's a, it's an action franchise that's going to be led by a person of color. You know, there's some great opportunities in here. There's some sophisticated, you know, messaging or whatever. Uh, Let's do this. And then what we got was a, a playthrough of a rainbow six game. And I often wonder, I wonder, I'm curious now about the TV thing, if if they approached it that way, because movies don't do nuance anymore. And I'm, I'm curious about whether the actors and everybody involved has a very different relationship to this film than we as viewers do uh, in, in how we view its sophistication. They might well do. And, and I, I think the, the, maybe the thought process is that these kind of movies don't do nuance anymore as opposed to, you know, other, other kinds of films, or is this just a bad example of it? You know, is it, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think I just, I just, again, I just go back to this has just been through the machine. It's been through the machine. It's been through half a dozen writers. It's been through lots of conceptual changes. You know, it's had a long production history. It's probably changed from, you know, completely over, over the years. And what you get at the end of that kind of cycle just ends up often just being reheated. And I just got that feeling from this, you know, <laughs> that's such a great, that's such a great metaphor. I, I just found it quite in a way. I found it quite tired. I found it. There was nothing in here that was bad. Nothing was bad about this. Don't get me wrong. It's not a bad film as such. It, there was just nothing in there. That, 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 that said that was anything really and certainly in the way it was presented that made me sit up and you know apart from the odd like I've said the odd moment here and there that made me sit up and go this really is captivating this is interesting this stands out and maybe that's why you know we've heard nothing about it like it, it popped up like at trailed on Amazon a week or two ago and you know it's it's operating in a fairly sparse space right now. It's not like it's it's not like this is released in six months when it's going to be crowded out by goodness knows how many films that are now being thrown at us that have been delayed, you know, for for two years or whatever. That this this is this is this has space to breathe. This has space to stand out, you know, before cinemas are properly fully opening everywhere. And it doesn't, you know, people. I, I've not seen anyone talking about this anywhere. And, <laughs> like no interest at all and i'm like this shouldn't be the case you know it shouldn't be the case this is a tom clancy movie starring michael b jordan like and you I- know usually that's my jam i'm usually the stuff that i really connect with is the stuff that nobody else is talking about <laughs> so. well yeah <laughs> that that proves it's not very good because yeah otherwise <laughs> It's just, you know, it's a shame. It is a shame because I think this could have been a better movie. 
I think it's it could have been more interesting. I just think it doesn't quite it doesn't come together. And you know, I really don't like trashing a film. I, I was hesitant to, especially when I heard that you also didn't like it. I was hesitant to to have this conversation without you know, trying to talk about some of the stuff that did impress me, like the sound design and the cinematography and whatnot, just because I don't, I'm not one of those, you know, people who just likes to go on the internet and shit on a movie and think I'm clever. Yeah. So yeah, I think it is important to note that it's not like it's a badly made film. No, no. And it's not a bad film per se. It's just not terribly engaging. It doesn't offer anything new. It doesn't give you anything that says this is Tom Clancy's, you know, spy universe that we're introducing you to. This is how we're different from mission impossible. This is how we're different from born. This is how we're different from bond. It, it just, it was like you said, it was reheated. It was, this is what we have and we're going to put it out into the world. And, you know, even uh, Jody Turner Smith uh, with the exception of one or two scenes where I I thought it just wasn't clicking. And I mean, that, that doesn't mean anything in a movie because the way movies are made, nobody's on 24 hours a day, but I thought she was really great and underutilized. And I think there was also something to be said when you had these, these two characters, especially since you said like the bad guys always, you know, the old white guy, (laughs) You've, you've got these two POC who have a very unique experience in the world and in the military you know, getting away from just all the the cloak and dagger gray stuff that we've been talking about, the, the nuance that we thought that was missing, there's an entire perspective on the world that could have informed this film and given it its own flavor because the difference between this movie and all the other spy movies out there is that those other spy movies are all led by white guys. Mm-hmm. So... Like that's another missed opportunity, which I found kind of disappointing. And I'm also, I'm glad that they didn't like really push that in, in the marketing of it, where it's like, here's black man, action movie, strong, strong African-American female role. I hate the strong female role thing in general, <laughs> not to say I hate strong females, but just that trope. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's another example of like wonderful actors in some material that's just not reaching. So technically proficient, it's a workman's film, but again, it's a pandemic. It's on Amazon. It's probably going to get watched by a million people. It's probably going to get its Rainbow Six sequel. It's probably, it's probably going to succeed because it's a very low, I mean, what you're paying seven, eight, 10 bucks a month for Amazon Prime rather than spending, you know, 30 bucks to go see this in the theater. Yeah. It's going to be a success. Yeah, I th- I think I think it will be in its own sphere. I think it will just be one of those films where people go, yeah, they just shrug and come out of it really. And yeah. That's a shame. I tell you what would have fixed it. The uh the sequence of Jamie Bell and Michael B Jordan furiously trying to print a document in separate rooms. <laughs> For ten minutes, that that that, that would have that would have fixed the whole thing, and then you know Michael B. Jordan storming out of the office and going, "You're you're going to jail, pal." You know that would have done it for me. But you know, I have just noticed something which is kind of blowing my mind right now. 
I was kind of flipping through. I, I had to flip through the Wikipedia to find uh, Jodie Turner Smith's name. The music for the film is by Yancey. Really? Really? <laughs> okay. Like, what the hell? <laughs> I wouldn't have really got that <laughs> from this. I, I have no words right now. <laughs> <laughs> Considering what a singular kind of musical voice Yancey is, the fact that he just fell into the background like that, that's a whole other podcast. It is. <laughs> One other interesting fact, actually, that I thought about when I saw the credits is that this film was produced by Skydance. Now, if you look at Skydance and what they've done, they've been trying to do this kind of shit for ages you think about it these are the people who did who tried tried to make the jack reacher franchise which i quite like those movies to be fair but it didn't really take off with tom cruise and now it's going to be a tv show you know which hopefully will do better it's tried to do the gi joe which didn't go anywhere either because they were terrible it's tried to, it, it it was responsible for terminator genesis so you know and that and that alone should have you know put paid to this it's just if you look at a lot of the films they've produced, they are trying, and you know, and also um, the uh, the Star Trek Abrams verse sequels, or so, and and you know, they they themselves are considered a mixed bag by a lot of people. So you know, and to be fair, they have had successes. They they done um, a few of the most recent Mission Impossible films, which have been great. So you know, I'm not saying they're a complete write off, but they seem to go in for this kind of franchise building stuff, and they never and and some of the material is wanting. So it's interesting, you know, their next big one is going to be uh, Top Gun Maverick, which who knows what that's going to be like. That's a real, you know, who the hell knows there. But yeah, I just think it's just interesting thinking about this film in those terms. You know, the kind of impetus behind it and the thought process behind it. Sorry, I'm I'm still floored by the Yancey thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's been really fun to chew this over, Mike, because it ha- it, even though... Yeah, we've not been that kind on the movie. I think there's some really interesting stuff around it to talk about, and I think we've covered quite a lot of stuff there. The the, the composite parts of it are still interesting, and I will obviously watch Rainbow Six, you know, when it comes out, if and when it comes out. I will absolutely see what that's like, and hopefully it'll be a slightly better better film. And I'll, I'll watch anything Tom Clancy, ultimately. But, yeah, we will see. That will come in time. But, um, um, Mike, thanks for coming on. This hopefully won't be your last time on Real Talk as well, because uh, I love to chat films with you, so... It's been really nice. Always a pleasure. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. Until next time, where can people find you on the internet? What are you up to and where can you point them towards? Uh, Well, I have two other podcasts. Uh, One of them is a film-related podcast because who doesn't have a film-related podcast? (laughs) Uh, It's called For Your Consideration. It's kind of embarrassing because it's even a a film podcast I do with my old roommate, (laughs) (laughs) which I started why, when we were roommates, um, it's like the <laughs> ultimate podcast cliche. It's such a good show, guys. It's great. I I really appreciate that, man. That's that actually means a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, the idea of it is we we watch films off of the the 2012 Sight and Sound list. We're waiting for the the 2022 list to come out, and um, they're supposed to be you know the films that are considered the greatest films of all time, ostensibly. Uh, so we watch them and we determine whether we think they're masterpieces or museum pieces, meaning they're, you know, important cultural artifacts. Uh, they should be analyzed. They should be thought about. They should be preserved. Uh, but they're not necessarily, you know, perfect cinema kind of thing. The other podcast is called a podcast named Scooby-Doo, where I'm uncovering the history of mystery. I'm basically doing an oral history of uh, the franchise that's kind of been running for 50 plus years now. 
and uh, I interview people who've worked within the franchise, uh, get their stories, and uh, it's been kind of fun. I also produce because uh, Warner Brothers doesn't support any of the the home video releases with anything cool. Uh, I get the creatives to come on and then they'll record audio commentaries and stuff for episodes that they've done. And I'm, I'm all about the added value content, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's great. You're creating a real archive there. So that's that's fantastic. Yeah. All the best. of luck. And I'm on all the social media, either at FYC show or at Scooby-Doo cast, or just search the the names of the, the podcasts and you'll you'll run across them. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Brilliant. Yeah. I encourage you to do so guys because they're, they're genuinely great. So yeah, check it out. Um, absolutely check it out. You can find us as part of the, we made this uh, podcast network at WMT underscore network on Twitter, where you'll find links to all the other shows and me at AJ black writer, and you'll find all everything else I'm doing on there as well. So uh, do check us out and thanks for joining us uh, for another episode. And uh, yeah, remember we're part of the, we made this podcast network and without remorse, Tom Clancy's Without Remorse is not all we're discussing, so we'll give you a little taste of what you might have missed on the network in a moment. Uh, Until then, we'll see you next time at the movies for more Real Talk. Elsewhere on We Made This. Frame to frame. I'm going to wind you up and go now. Glenn Close in Hillbilly Elegy. Oh my god, give me that Oscar right now. Put some grits on a put some grits on a breakfast plate and go and have barbecue because it's absolutely amazing. Like li- li- literally <laughs> like that all the way through it. Like <laughs> it's just crackers. Didn't she win the Razzie as well? I think she's, oh my god, I got a Razzie, I got a Razzie, go my Oscar nomination. That's why we got down here in Alabama. Like that. <laughs> My days, my days. Pick a disc. One of my favourite blink. Well, I think perhaps one of my favourite Tom DeLonge like, verses is the second verse because it's the bit where, okay. like, where I think the kind of like adds an extra layer. I think of since throughout the back is where he goes, "Where are you now?" I hear footsteps. Yeah, yeah. And there's just yeah. the bit in the music which, and again, and, and as for someone who doesn't take notice of of music and stuff it's like it's a big thing yeah. when I notice that it's just like this extra cool. layer that kicks in the extra layer of something I've never been able to pinpoint what it is that kicks in just as it, just as the where are you now bit appears oh, okay. right in the childhood the term benders that are was affectionately used on more than one occasion. So Doc and always gave us a giggle. Referred to the viewers as his benders. And at no point do I think that this was a Not dig at <laughs> gay people or do I think that it was deliberately supposed to be controversial yeah. using a hate term. But I don't feel like they would do it now. No. It was so <laughs> funny. And obviously it's like around the... It's like... It's these kind of shows, you know, you have fan names for them, and Benders is a good one to have, but it was just... We laughed every time. We did. We can't deny it. Every time Doc Croc said Benders, we looked at each other and grinned, and I'm like, I'm 42 and you're 24, and we're laughing at the word Benders. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This Podcast Network.